Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. City Bridge, how we doing? Yeah! Let's go, man. I I, I'm so pumped to be with you, and I love, you just got to know, I love the leadership here. I love this church. I love what God is doing here. Don't take this place for granted, because as I walk around, I'm like, man, this building is awesome. People I'm meeting is awesome. So I'm just kind of an outsider coming in with fresh eyes, and I'm like, wow, I hope they really appreciate all that God is doing. And so, and, and uh, I love David. I love Kyle. I love Rob and, and so, many, so many of your staff here, honestly. Uh, here's what I've learned. Uh, the, the older you get, it seems like the harder life gets, okay? And that's just, just an observation uh, for me. Um, I, uh, I hurt myself walking the other day. Uh, went out on a, on a stroll in the neighborhood. I went off-road. I went off-road. You know, I said, okay. Uh, there was a pasture, said, hey, I was with a friend. I was like, let's go in here. Let's see what's, what's behind these trees, you know. And Waco's gotten a lot of rain lately. And so I'm thinking, okay, how are we going to navigate this? And there's some boulders. So I'm, I'm jumping boulder to boulder, you know. It's like an obstacle course. Now, you ever see the show Wipeout? Yeah. Or um, like American Ninja Warrior? Yeah, so like I'm basically an American ninja, and I'm, I'm going from boulder to boulder, and I get to the bottom of this hill, and there's like a ditch, and it's all muddy, and it, but there's no more boulders, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And I see a, a log, and so I grab that log, and I, I throw it down in the mud, and I, I jump on the log, and now I'm balancing. And this is like some premier athleticism stuff. I mean, only like the, the sharpest, greatest athletes. And uh, it, it's hard is what I'm saying. I'm balancing on this log, and I get to the end of it, and there's a, a the, like the next boulder is a little ways away. And I'm like, how am I going to get there? But I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I was eighth grade long jump champion uh, in my small Catholic high school of seven people. And so surely I can do this. And so I jump as hard as, you know, just the biggest jump I can. And, and I just tore my calf in two. Like it just, the muscle just ripped. And uh, I'm, I'm like down for the cow. And I'm like, man, how did that happen? And sometimes life just kind of throws those, those curveballs at you. And I, I start there because life can be like an obstacle course. And when you, when you see what's coming next, it's easier. It's like, oh, yeah, I've been in that room. I've, I've gone through that before. But when something comes at you that you didn't see, it can be really challenging. You're like, okay, how do I get through this? What, what is it that we do here? And you can think about this. Like when you're younger, I see some kids in the room. It's like life is so hard. You know, older people than you, they tell you what to do. It seems like you have to do it. Uh, you've got to make uh, you know, really challenging decisions, uh, like how do I get a phone, you know, how do I convince my parents into getting me a phone, and can I get social media, and those kinds of things, and you, you feel uh, the pressures kind of starting a classroom, you're looking for a place to fit in, and as you grow older, you're thinking, now I got to get a job, and when you get a job, then you fear losing the job, and as you, you get the job, you have responsibilities, then you have bills, 
and, and sometimes uh, things break down and you have unforeseen expenses and, and you kind of fight loneliness at times and you fight the temptation of purity or the struggle with purity, and, and you think, hey, maybe I want to get married. And so then you try to get married, and maybe you do get married, and, and now you're in this classroom where it's like selfishness 101. You're realizing like, whoa, I had no idea that I was such a selfish person, and this is kind of unforeseen. These are challenges, and you think, man, what if we want to start a, a family? And then you think, wow, this is just a lesson on how little control I have. When are we going to be able to have kids? Will we be able to have kids? How many kids should we have? And let's just say you get pregnant, and then you're in this nine months kind of, whoa, what is this going to look like? And how is this going to happen? And when is this going to happen? And how do we prepare? Side note, you don't. And then and then if that child comes into the world, it's almost like a reset of all of the insecurities that you had when you were little and all of the unforeseen obstacles that you have to help them navigate all while you continue to navigate your own as you get older and older and older and life just keeps throwing crazy things at you. And so I want to talk with you from 1 Peter chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, turn there. 1 Peter chapter 5, one of my favorite chapters in the scripture, and as I come here, it's like, I'm like, I don't know what you need to hear. I don't, I don't, I'm not intimately involved in your life, and so if you're okay with it, I'm just going to share with you what God is teaching me, and if there's something helpful to you, take that home with you, uh, but I'm just going to kind of fill my heart with the truth of, of God's word. Peter wrote this letter. Uh, the, the New Testament has 27 books. We call them books. 22 of those books are letters. This is a letter that Peter wrote to the church in about 64 AD. The church at this time is scattered throughout Asia Minor, specifically the people he's writing to, uh, modern day Turkey. And they're made up of Jewish converts and pagan converts or Gentile converts. Uh, and they're coming together. Now they're the church with one thing in common, and that's Jesus Christ. They're following the way Jesus Christ. Kind of like this place this morning. Like some of you grew up in church. You knew God. You went to Sunday school. You did all the things. Some of you were, uh, you were a server at a restaurant, and a, a faithful City Bridge member engaged you and said, come to church with me. And you came to church for the first time in a long time or maybe forever. And here we are all together singing singing songs, praising Jesus. That's what was happening then when Peter wrote this letter, but here's the difference. In about 64 AD, Nero was emperor. Nero is a madman. He hates Christians. He, he tortures them for fun, and he leads the persecution of them uh, for fun. So he's kind of rallying the troops to make it really difficult to follow the way Jesus. And so Peter writes this letter saying, hey, life's hard. Um, hang in there. And then in the end of the letter, here in chapter 5, he's saying sometimes life's going to throw these unforeseen obstacles at you. And he, he doesn't just say random things, but it feels like it. Like this chapter, it, it's like the memory verse Mecca. Um, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Heard that? Therefore, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand so that in due time he may lift you up. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. All these like memory verse, memory verse, coffee cup, coffee cup, right? It's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. And, and it seems like individual thoughts. I, I want to make a case that these ideas build on each other that Peter is taking us through an obstacle course. The first stop is going to be anxiety, your mind. You're your own worst enemy. What's happening in your thoughts? Mental health. 
We stop there along the way. And then he gets to the devil. You have a real enemy, someone who studies you, someone who hates you, someone who is leading an army, a full-out strategic attack against you, against your family, against your children, you and your singleness. And then we stop along the way in suffering. The world has fallen. Things are not as they should be. And um, you're going to experience hardships here. And some of those hardships that are going to happen to you are not going to be things that you've planned for. You don't have a strategy for them. They just came out of nowhere, and you got to figure out, all right, what do I do with this? And so that's kind of the journey along this in 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, the obstacles, anxiety, temptation, suffering, and we'll dive in. I'm going to start in uh, the second part of verse 5, chapter 5, verse 5, because he says, to this, the elders, I say this, uh, to the members, I say this, and now he says, all of you, everyone, all of City Bridge, everyone a part of the church, he says this, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Don't sleep on that God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. When you are prideful, you are in opposition to the most powerful being in the entire universe, all of creation, the one who created all things. And when you are prideful, you can't see it. Pride is blinding. You don't know you're being prideful. You must have people around you to help you realize that you're being prideful because none of us woke up this morning and said, I'd love to be God's opposition. That sounds like a good time. And so he says, clothe yourself in humility. And if your family's anything like mine, you kind of wake up, uh, we get up Sunday morning and, and our kids come out of their rooms and there's usually this conversation, can I wear this to church? Okay. And sometimes it's like, yeah, sure, you look fine. Uh, a lot of times Weston, our, our 11-year-old son comes out, he's got white tube socks, some slides, uh, athletic shorts, uh, maybe a uh, tank top. He's like, can I wear this to church? And I'm like, eh, no, you, you need to go change. Um, but here's the truth. I don't care. I don't care what you wear to church. Like if it's appropriate to be in public, you, you, you wrestle with the Lord, you come to an agreement, you wear that. What you must wear every time you come into this place, you must clothe yourself in humility. Because some of you are really smart. You, you've built companies, you've sold companies, you lead large teams, you've got people working for you, they're just waiting for you to tell them what to do, and you come into this place, and you've got ideas maybe even better than the people here that lead this place, and you can't wait to, you know, whatever, and we're going to come in here, and we're going to sing this song, and you might be like, why do we sing that song and not this song, and why is it this temperature, and why is the music this loud, and why the... Take a deep breath and make sure you must... Clothe yourself in humility. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, Peter, who wrote this letter to the church, spent a lot of time with Jesus, okay, and, and he is an authority on telling us how to navigate life's obstacles for two reasons. One, he spent so much time with Jesus. Two, he's navigated a lot of those obstacles himself. And then he's also helping the church navigate those obstacles. 
And, and in fact, there was this time where he was doing ministry with Jesus. They were hanging out and Jesus is like, hey, let's go across the Sea of Galilee. Think large lake like the one near Rockwall or Levon. And, um, and they get in a boat and they're crossing the lake. And as it does in that geography sometimes, that area, a storm comes in fast. And these vocational fishermen, people who have been on boats their entire life, are afraid for their lives. The storm is, is about to capsize their boat and they look for Jesus and Jesus is taking a little siesta. And they're like, Jesus, who can sleep at a time like this? And they say this, do you not even care? Jesus wakes up and is like, do I not care? I think in the storms, that's where we go. It's like, God, do you even care? And Peter learned a valuable lesson because Jesus is like, do I care? Hush. And the storm and the waves and the wind calm and dissipate. It's like, you don't understand the half of it. You don't know what I'm about to do for you. Do I care? And so Peter learned that Jesus cares. And so here in this letter, he's saying, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. But he's coming out of this idea that I think is connected, that you are to humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand. And so my first point is in anxiety, humble yourself. In anxiety, humble yourself. Am I saying that anxiety is caused by pride? Much of it is. Much of it is. Please do not tune me out. If you struggle with anxiety, there's going to be a temptation to be like, that's not helpful. I'm out. I don't. Please hear what I have to say over the next few minutes on this topic. The reason that I say much of it is, of course, not all. There's, there's all kinds of things that can happen in the complex organ of the brain, uh, serotonin levels, chemical imbalances, all sort of things. But an anxiety that the scripture addresses repeatedly, like we see in Matthew 6, do not worry about what you're going to wear. Do not worry about what you're going to eat. Do not worry about the test tomorrow or the job assignment next week or, or all of the things that are in the future who by worrying can add a single hour to their, to their life. Jesus is saying this, look at God, you can trust him, he provides for you. And in Philippians, Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God with thanksgiving, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And if you struggle with anxiety, that is not helpful. Because you're like, I don't want to worry, and I don't want to be anxious, and I want to cast my anxieties in him. I want to believe that he cares for me, but I don't know how. If you struggle with anxiety, um, you are in good company. Uh, so do I. In early 2018, I found myself in a season of life where we had young kids. Um, trying to navigate that and marriage. I was teaching sometimes on the weekend five times, Saturday night, two times Sunday morning, one time Sunday evening, uh, or four times, and then turn around 
And as soon as I finished Sunday evening, I would turn around, write another message, teach it Tuesday at the porch. Uh, also had just published a book, which opened up speaking opportunities, uh, some travel, some going different places. And I'm trying to figure out how to balance all of this while a family member was ill and I'm wanting to care you know, well for them and just all of the weights of life. And I hit a wall at about 100 miles an hour and something broke. And it's really difficult for me to explain to you exactly what broke and what happened, but I can just explain it like this. I could sit down in my chair and I would be so uncomfortable in my own skin. There was a tingling sensation throughout my body, but not the good kind. And I couldn't escape it. And it just stayed there all the time, this like low hum of it, frequency of anxiety. And my thoughts would race so fast. They would come across at about 12, uh, 12 thoughts at a time and I couldn't grab one. I, I couldn't even hold a thought for a second. It was just like, whoa, I, I don't even know. What's causing you to be anxious? I don't know. Well, cast your anxieties on him. I want to. Don't be anxious about anything. I don't want to. You know, and I'm sitting there and my heart starts start skipping beats and, and beating hard, not rapidly, but hard. And so I go to the emergency room and this doctor comes in and she hooks me up to this EKG machine and they start measuring heartbeats. And she comes back in and she says, yeah, you have some PVCs and PACs, premature ventricular contractions and premature atricular contractions and, and just irregular beats. That's what that means. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, doc, can you fix it? And she says, no, but you can. She says, you need to carry less. You need to slow down. Now, why would anybody carry more than they should? Well, because you got to keep up. You want people to like you. You, you want to have a, a, a bigger house in a better neighborhood. You want security and comfort. You want to be known. You want followers. Right? Those are all nice things. And you just start running in that race for so long, you don't even realize that you're running in that race. You weren't meant to wear anxiety. You're meant to cast it off. You're meant to wear humility. You put on humility. You're meant to be covered and wear the hand of God. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. But with anxiety, we cast it off. So what does it look like for you to cast off anxiety? Here's an honest answer. I don't know. But let me tell you what it looked like for me and maybe it'll be helpful to you. I would have to sit in my chair in the morning and I would have to work. And it was work to try to figure out what is at the foundation of this. And my first inclination was, I don't know, and I'm not going to be able to figure it out. It's very fatalistic, but I'd have to sit there and I'd say, okay, what is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? Hold on, slow down, breathe, breathe slowly, think. And I would grab a thought and I'd look at it and I'd be like, yes, okay, yes, I am anxious about that. I can confirm that. And then I would mentally, like a coat, take that off. And it says, cast it. And it's like a violent cast. And I would think of God having a coat, uh, coat rack. And I would just throw that coat on that coat rack. And then I would start over and say, what else? And I would just sit there and I would slow my thinking down and I would breathe slowly and I'd try to figure out the next thing that was causing me to be anxious. I'd identify it, I'd look at it, I'd confirm it, and then I'd cast it off. And I'd have to mentally go through that exercise every single morning. Now, I don't know what you need to do, but you do need to do something. It's calling you to do something. Cast your anxiety on him because... He cares for you. Martin Luther said, I'm going to pray and let God worry. And what I need you to know, City Bridge, if you get nothing else out of today, 
is that he cares for you. In the Greek, it's a concern for um, you are on his mind. Like he's thinking about you. He's aware of what you're going through. Don't try to be in this place where it's like no one knows what I'm going through. In anxiety, humble yourself and God will protect you. It says in verse 8, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, these are things that Peter is teaching the church that he learned from his time with Jesus because when Jesus went in the garden of Gethsemane and and he's like, hey, Peter, you need to stay alert because the devil has asked me to sift you like wheat, which I'd be like, did you say no? I mean, like, what did you say? Like, just no, right? But he's like, hey, you need to be alert. Like, we're not playing games here. We're in a war. And so Jesus goes and prays for an hour, and he comes back, and he's like, could you not stay awake? Like, do you think I'm playing with you? I'm telling you, you got to stay alert. And in Matthew 26, verse 41, he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Peter learned that lesson then. Now he's teaching that lesson to us here. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He prowls around like a roaring lion. How do you picture Satan in there, in that verse? Hungry? What, as what? What do you see? A lion. Oh, the king of the jungle. He's going to rip you to shreds. He's hungry. going to devour you. It's not what it says. It's not what it says. Jesus is the lion of Judah. Satan is a lion for Halloween. He, he prowls around like a roaring lion. He's trying to intimidate you so that you would think he's more than what he is. And so my second point, in temptation, resist the devil. In temptation, resist the devil. Second Corinthians eleven fourteen says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He's always trying to be something that he's not. And he's not omnipresent, so there's a very strong likelihood Satan has never been anywhere near you. Okay, he has an army of demons. Uh, Some of them may be assigned to your area or your life group or your family. I I don't know what all of that looks like exactly. But they, they do have a plan. Like they are smart. They are watching you. They know your search history. Uh, they know your proclivities. They know your vulnerabilities. They know your desires. They know where you're weak. Like this is like they have, you know, there's some in the spiritual realm. I don't even know exactly what it's like, but a, but a whiteboard, if you will, some, some file that's like, okay, here's where they're most tempted. And, and who are they looking for? They're looking for someone who's anxious. They're looking for someone who's operating in pride. They're looking for someone who's like, no one understands how I, what I'm going through and how I struggle and how hard it is. Like nobody gets it. Nobody knows me. Nobody has my struggle. 
this terminally uniqueness that gets you to a place where you don't, because he says, don't like understand brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering, verse nine. He goes, no, 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 you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. But he's looking for someone who is unprotected. Let me show you something. healed? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I don't have to wear the boot. I don't have to wear the boot. Like I can walk just fine without the boot. The truth is when I tore my calf walking, it was the second time I'd actually torn it three weeks before that playing pickleball. Okay. Some of you saw that coming. And, um, and they said, you need to wear a boot. I said, I'm not going to wear a boot, right? I don't, I'm different, you know. You don't understand, eighth grade long jump champion here. I'm, I don't need to wear the boot. And lo and behold, walking, you know, I tear it again a second time. And it's worse than the fourth time. Why? The first time. Why? Because I was unprotected. Because I was operating in my own wisdom, doing things my way, thinking I know better than others. And, and as I went out there unprotected, I hurt myself further. This is what he's looking for. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Satan's strategy is super simple. This is Christianity 101, basic stuff. He's just trying to get you to sin. And sin equals not trusting God. So Satan's operation, his modus operandi, Operandi, his chief strategy from the beginning is to get you not to trust God. He's trying to find you to, and, and then when you sin, he's found a home. Like he's like, oh, here you give the devil a foothold. When you sin, especially habitually, especially ongoing, unrepentant, and you hide it, what you don't realize, and test me on this, if there's any part of you that doesn't believe what I'm saying right now, please prove me wrong, like test it, because it's very, very important in the Christian walk. When you sin, you invite him in. When you sin, you invite him in. This is what this means. You can sit there and say, Lord, please protect my children and please keep them safe at school and please give them friends that know you and help them to have a great spouse. And then you go look at porn and you say, and Satan, come into our home and devour us. And you don't realize that. You, you can say, God, please protect my marriage. Please help us to love each other. But then you go out and you get drunk and you're like, Satan, here I am. Want some? And you, the scripture says, Ephesians 4, you give the devil a foothold. You, you fed him something and he hangs out. My neighbor, our neighbor, um, has this awesome cat. Like the best cat. If you're going to have a cat, they've got a great cat. It's an outdoor cat. And like she has the biggest personality. Like we go over there, we'll walk by the house, we walk the neighborhood and she will come and join us and she will walk with us and she'll talk to us the whole time. Yeah, you know, like, hey, how you doing? And, and she'll just walk and she'll roll over. She wants you to scratch her belly. I mean, like a puppy, this cat. And when we get to our house, she knows like, all right, we're at our house and she goes home. She just walks back to her house. And, and the way that they got this cat, because she was a stray in the neighborhood, and the way that the stray cat became their cat is they set out a bowl of cat food. 
and now it's their cat. And she's like, this is my home. These people love me and give me what I want, and so I'm not going anywhere else. And now she's their cat, and that's how the enemy works. Yeah, you, you, they're like, hey, I'm looking for someone to devour. Who will entertain me with sin? Oh, you will? Great, I now have a home. I'm gonna hang out here. What's your address? That's now my address. That's where we're going to be. This, this is a, a biblical idea. Like it is, it is what the scriptures teach. I don't think we think about it enough. And it's why Peter writes here, like you're, this is why this is in the text. You're gonna be the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, resist him, stand firm in the faith, understanding that other people suffer in the same kinds of ways that you do. And so in temptation, what did Jesus do in temptation? He's there. He's literally face to face with the prince of darkness. You know, he hadn't eaten in 40 days. He's like, here's something to eat. And Jesus responds three times with his favorite memory verses from Deuteronomy. What if your only chance of overcoming temptation today was to respond with your favorite memory verse from Deuteronomy? How are you going to do? You going Deuteronomy 2? You going Deuteronomy 6? You going Deuteronomy 36? There's no 36. Uh, Ephesians 6, another chapter on spiritual warfare. The only offensive weapon, if you've been in church long, you've heard this. The only offensive weapon, offensive weapon there is the sword of the spirit, which is what? You've got to fill your heart with the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If Satan's going to show up and lie to you, you have to know the truth. Listen, I've heard preachers say that. I've heard pastors say that. I too have rolled my eyes at that idea. Like, oh yeah, I got to know the word. What I'm trying to tell you is that your quiet time is not this check the box, let me tell something to my community group that I read. Your quiet time is a strategy against satanic attacks. It's, it's, absolutely necessary for you to have the word of God on your heart. And so in temptation, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let's go back. Verse 10. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever Amen. He's saying, hey, hold fast. Listen, Jesus is coming back. Listen, God has a plan in your suffering. There can be a purpose, even a strategy in your suffering. You've got to believe that. That's not an eye roll moment. That's like really important to understand. Peter was in prison and he's sitting there in chains and he doesn't know how he's going to get out and he's stuck and they worship, right? And, and lo and behold, he has no idea the exit strategy, but God gets him out of there. And so he's writing this from experience saying, listen, guys, this Jesus, I met him, I spent time with him, and he's coming back, and he's going to heal everything. But in this world, you will have trouble. Genesis 3 happened. Suffering is a fact. The world is not as it should be. There is a brokenness here that, that like really terrible things happen to people who do really good things. You've got to know that. So you're not surprised by it because when you suffer, you will do some strange things. People will do odd things to get well, to feel better, to feel good. They'll take things, they'll go places, they'll talk to people, they'll say things. 
They'll get real superstitious all in an effort to feel better. He's like, no, 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 there's going to be times you don't feel well. The world's broken. Hold fast. In suffering, third point, in suffering, practice patience. If you write that down, parenthetically write trust. Practice trust. What I mean by patience is, is trusting God. Jesus, again, is our example for this. He, he was tempted in every single way. Uh, he put on flesh. He, he lived here on earth. He was tempted in every way, but he did not sin. And Jesus suffered, and he suffered more than anyone, dare I say, more than any person in this room will ever suffer, Jesus suffered. And it hurt. And he bled out. He was killed. He was tortured. Right? And he did not sin. And, and he trusts the plan. He's like, God is doing something. And so Paul writes that, listen, as you suffer here, as you suffer under the sun, we do not lose heart, 2 Corinthians 4. We do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on, what, on not what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And if you've been in church long, you're like, oh, yeah, the do not lose heart verse. Who the light and momentary afflictions verse. Outwardly wasting away, inwardly being renewed day by day. I know this one. He says, fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. If you read that verse and you don't stop in your tracks and say, whoa, hold up, time out. How in the world am I to fix my eyes on what is unseen? I mean, that is the logical question that we should ask in reading a command from the scriptures. How, well, what is seen? Well, here's what's seen. Seen is larger checks, paychecks. Uh, seen is bigger houses, better neighborhoods, private schools. Seen is nicer cars. Uh, seen is brands. Seen is nicer clothes. Seen is followers. Uh, seen is friends and relationships. Seen is, is all the things that you can get under the sun. What is unseen? How do you fix your eyes on what is unseen? You have to fill your heart with what is written in this book. You have to know it and live it out and say it to each other and, and spend time in it and soak it up that when you are face to face with the enemy, you can respond with the truth. That when you suffer, you don't look for shortcuts. You say, what does the scripture say? It's like you're in a race and Peter's saying, keep going. You can finish. You're almost there. The glory of Christ is coming. The glory of Christ is coming. It's just around the bend. Keep going. I've got a uh, surgery coming up, deviated septum surgery. And uh, the doctor calls me because hey, I just want you to know this is no joke for six days. He's like, we're going to go out there, we're going to drill stuff out, we're going we're gonna to pull out, so we're going to cut out polyps, we're going to grind things, there's going to be blood, it's going to hurt. We're going to put stints up there. I'm like, what's a stint? He's like, you don't want to know. Okay. He's like, he goes, six days, man, we're just managing pain. It's going to hurt. But then after six days, you're going to come into my office. I'm going to pull out the stents and you're going to be able to breathe. You're going to, you're going to immediately uh, experience some results. And then for the rest of your life, you're going to be able to breathe better. 
And he, he puts that vision in front of me. And so what do you think I'm going to be doing for six days? Okay, six more days. Okay, 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 five more days, five more days. Okay, four more days of suffering. Okay, three more days. Okay, two more days of suffering. Okay, one more day. And teach us, O oh Lord, to number our days so that we may grow a heart of wisdom for these light and momentary afflictions. And Jesus is coming back. He's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to deal with disease and death and grief and heartbreak. And you're going to be in a place where there is no more pain. And so under the sun, you hold out. You think about that. So in suffering, practice patience. And Jesus will restore you. As you think about the three obstacles, I'll say in summary, the three obstacles, the first one being anxiety. In anxiety, humble yourself and God will protect you. In temptation, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And in suffering, practice patience, and Jesus will restore you. I, um, I came up this morning to support my friend, one of your pastors. Uh, earlier this week, they got some 3D imaging sonogram that confirmed, um, confirmed the suspicion that Cruz and Bears and Monroe's little sister Lottie um, has trisomy 13. They see heart defects, kidney problems, brain problems, and all signs, as best we can tell from the medical experts we have available to us, would just say, hey, your child has a chromosomal condition not compatible with life, meaning right now she is on the life support of Callie Marvin, and that when she comes out of her body into the world, uh, she does not have what is necessary to survive this world. And so as I watch my friends navigate this, you think about life's obstacles, unforeseen obstacles. Is there anxiety? Yeah. There's anxiety. But I've talked, we talk, and I watch them fight to cast those Anxieties on a God who cares for them. Is there temptation? There's an aspect of suffering that just opens the door for temptation. When I, when I tear my calf, my, something goes wrong with my shoulder. I don't know how that's all linked. And then my shoulder then hurts. I can't sleep. And the body is the funny place where it's like, oh... You're experiencing a lot of pain. Let me give you some more pain. Then I break out in shingles, which is like chicken pox under the skin, but it just hurts really bad. And when you go through that, you begin to think, even as a pastor, even on staff at a church, you think, how can I numb this pain? <clears throat> what will it take? Is it a second glass of bourbon? Maybe I go back to looking at things like I did in college just to experience momentary, temporary pleasure. And you have to have people in your life that you're talking to and confessing to where they say, no, 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 JP. It's not worth it. And 
when you experience suffering, you're looking for those shortcuts. You've got to have people saying, no, 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 it's not worth it. So I love the way that my friend, my friends, David and Callie, are saying, hey, we know Jesus. Like, we trust in him. We praise him in our suffering. Like, he's either going to make it better now or he's going to make it better than we. As, and I'm inviting you into this corporately. You beg God for healing, for a miracle, for a misdiagnosis, that that child, Lottie, would come into this world and her heart will be fine and her brain will think fine and her cellular structures all work and she's a healthy baby girl and we will gather the body and we will celebrate and we will say praise be to God. But if he takes her home, then we will look forward to a reunion by the power of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit on this earth, the one who died for our sins, the one who God raised him from the dead. We have the opportunity, you have the opportunity today to trust in that, to believe upon that, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that that spirit can live with you because of what Jesus did for you. And so we beg God for healing and we beg God for faith. We say, Lord, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. And that's what I want to ask of you for yourself and for my friend. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship. And David, would you just, can I pray for you? Can you come up here? I pray over you. The section just ends in worship. It says, to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And so God, we know that you have the power forever and ever. Amen. I ask you, Lord, please, God, would you please heal Lottie's body, God? Would you restore uh, health to her inside the womb? Would her kidneys function correctly, her brain work, her heart work? God, we've prayed this before. We don't pray as a performance. I prayed at the first service. I'll pray tomorrow. We'll pray the next day. Lord, we're going to continue to knock on the door like we're begging for bread because our neighbor's over and we have none. We're begging you, God, would you please heal this child? And we ask you to help us to trust you in the midst of that. And we do. We, We say that we trust you. And we just say, would you help us to trust you more. And I pray that you would bless this church. And I know that there's all kinds of ailments and all kinds of problems and challenges in the body, and they don't have the privilege of coming up on this stage right now and being prayed over. And so, Lord, I just, I pray over them. I ask you to move into their situations and to help them to trust you and and to bring about remedy, to bring about restoration, to bring about healing. And so, Father, would you please do those things? We, we know that you hear our prayers, and, and we just I ask that you would show your faith face in this and that we would see you as faithful regardless of the outcome. But I don't want to say regardless of the outcome as a lack of faith. I know that you can, God, and I cannot obligate you to do so. You are God, and I am not. And so I just, out of obedience and in humility, Lord, we ask you to. We ask you to. We thank you for this truth, these ancient scriptures that remind us of who you are and what you've done for us. And we pray this in all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.